Before British actor Robert Morley died, he asked that his credit cards be buried with him. And after his funeral, the London Times letter pages were filled with thoughts of readers pondering their own deaths and their perpetual needs. M.L. Evans of Chester wrote, In the unfortunate event of the miscarriage of justice and several thousand years ensuing before my sentence is quashed, I will take a fire extinguisher. Heather Tanner of Woodbridge specified a good map. I have immense trouble finding my way in this life, she said, so I am extremely worried about the next. A pair of earplugs would accompany Sir David Wilcox of Cambridge in case the heavenly choirs singing everlastingly are not in tune. (laughs) And Morris Godbold of Hinded would take a crowbar in case the affair proved premature. The writer of this letter we call Ephesians, purportedly Paul, describes another kind of death in today's passage, in case the affair proved premature, perhaps. He says, you were dead through the trespasses and sins in which you once lived. You were dead. Unless we're Barnabas Collins in Dark Shadows, death is a hopeless situation. Death is final, and the writer wants us to realize the finality, and that's why I think he says it so powerfully. You were dead. When people we know and love die, we tend to use euphemisms like passed away or passed on or was taken home in glory instead of the word died. Somehow that makes it feel less final when we do that, like saying see you later instead of saying goodbye. But hear the harshness. The writer wants us to hear that. You were dead. And there are times when we may feel hopeless, when it seems like death would come as a friend. We can't explain why the horrible things are happening to us. And perhaps like the first century writers who were influenced by the Greeks, we imagine that between earth and the moon, there live creatures who direct us toward temptation and evil. How else do you explain People who, as BBC reported last week, torture others by hanging them upside down and other actions that are too cruel to mention. How else do you explain the relief first officer of a full routine flight from New York to Cairo, Egypt, who waited for the pilot to leave the cockpit and then he disengaged the autopilot, cut the engines, the, no, the airplane began to pitch, nose downward. The horrified pilot dashed back to his seat and battled the co-pilot for control of the plane. The pilot pulled back on his controls, desperate to bring the nose of the plane back up, while the suicidal first officer pushed his own controls forward to keep the jet diving. 
And this Egypt Air flight crashed into the Atlantic Ocean. Over 200 people killed. Why? The battle in that airliner's cockpit is sort of like our own inner lives. Each day, we choose to either hijack control of our lives and plunge ourselves into sin, or to remain locked in the direction of God. You were dead. Through the trespasses and sins in which you once lived, following the course of this world, following the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work among those who are disobedient. All of us once lived among them in the passions of our flesh, following the desires of flesh and senses, and we were by nature children of wrath, as everyone else, he writes. As children of wrath, what do we deserve? As God's children who have turned away from God and Jesus, what do we deserve? As people who say we follow God's Son again and again and fail again and again, what do we deserve? Do we deserve that death? A father was waiting for his son at an airport and he had parked in a no-parking passenger loading zone. When his son didn't appear, he got out of the car inside to check to see if the flight schedule had changed. And he returned to his car to wait a little while longer and found a ticket on the windshield. While shoving the ticket into his pocket, he realized that he'd left his keys in the terminal and went to retrieve them. And when he came back, what did he find? A second ticket on his windshield. And the police officer who had given it to him stood several feet away, and he said, Officer, I really do deserve the second ticket, I mean, the first ticket, but would you please take back the second? And he explained the situation, and the officer said, Sure, and plucked the ticket out of his hand. And at this point, the man's son arrived, and they were about about to drive away when the officer came up to the window of the car. And afraid that he'd had a change of heart, the man rolled down the window with a little bit of trepidation, and the officer said, you know, I appreciate the way you spoke to me. Most people aren't quite so kind. Let me tear up the first ticket, too. And have a good day. Here's the switch in the scripture. It's the one little word that we keep finding, B-U-T. We have this death that we're dealing with and our passions and the challenges of the flesh and the temptations. But God, who is rich in mercy, out of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead through our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So through Jesus, God has torn up all of our tickets and given us freedom we don't deserve and more. So use your Greek cosmological imagination here. We're on earth And there are the powers of the air, 
the evil powers between us and the moon, the spirit that is now working among those who are disobedient, but higher than that, Jesus Christ is seated in the heavenly places. And God has made it possible for us to move past the powers of the air and be seated in the heavenly places with Jesus Christ. How did this happen? We were dead. We didn't deserve this elevation. We mess up. We're self-destructive. We hurt other people. Temptations overcome us. But God is rich in mercy and loves us with a great love that extends beyond our comprehension and brings life where there was death. Our own attitudes about sin affect us. I appreciate one of you giving me permission to tell your story. Life seemed harsh. Someone you love had been deeply hurt and didn't deserve it. The powers of the air seemed to be winning. But your eyes were opened when you found out one friend's injury had caused lifelong paralysis and another's health problems led to other chronic physical challenges and at such a young age. You know these troubles were not caused by God to teach a lesson, and yet you let God speak to you through them to remind you that life is good after all. God's grace elevated you from the low places to the heavenly places of gratitude and hope with Christ Jesus. The author wants to make sure we know that it is by grace, God's grace, that we are saved, not by anything we have or haven't done. For some reason, we have trouble with this. In the story of the father who parked illegally, it was the respect he showed to the police officer that inspired the officer to tear up that second ticket. It was something that he did. It was his own works. And again, the writer of this letter wants to be sure that we know it's not by works you have been saved. That's not what it says. It's by grace you have been saved. The gifts God gives have nothing to do with how often we enter the doors of a church building, though I'm glad you're here, nor even with the attitudes that we exhibit when we're here. It has nothing to do with how much we donate to to the church, though I certainly don't like saying that out loud. It has nothing to do with how many notes we write to people in need or how often we pray Paul heard it another time. My grace is sufficient for you, God said to him. God's grace is sufficient for each of us and all of us. Max Licato told the story in his book, In the Grip of Grace, that as youngsters, there were a lot of kids in the neighborhood who played street football And the minute they got home from school, they would drop their books and head out to the pavement. And one kid across the street had a dad with a great arm and a strong addiction to football. 
So as soon as he would pull in the driveway from work, the kids would start yelling for him to come and play, come on, come on. And out of fairness, he would always ask, which team is losing? And then he would join that team, which often seemed to be Lucado's, he said. And his appearance, this father's appearance in the huddle changed the whole ball game. He was confident, strong, and most of all, he had a plan. And so they'd circle around him, and he would look at them and say, okay, boys, here's what we're going to do. And the other side was groaning before they left the huddle. And the recollection that he had was that they not only had a plan, they had a new leader. And so here... These words again from the scripture. God, who is rich in mercy, out of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead through our trespasses, made us alive together in Jesus Christ. By grace, you have been saved. By grace, you have been saved through faith, he continues in verse 8. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one may boast. Oh, I gave so-and-so to the church or to this charity. Oh, I was at the church every day this week. Oh, whatever it might be. It's not the result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are what God has made us. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, for good works, which God prepared beforehand to be our way of life. While earning is the way of the world, we earn grades, we earn paychecks, we earn consequences to our actions. Earning is not God's way. God's way is mercy. We were dead, but God is merciful. And this mercy is worth proclaiming, worth announcing, worth professing to others by the way we live. Life is better than we had even thought, and it's because of Jesus Christ who has invited us to sit with him in the heavenly places. Our good works, perhaps, then, are the result of our gratitude for such grace. John Newton is the author of Amazing Grace. And later in his life, he had great difficulty with his memory. And one time late, later on in his life, a friend asked if he still had a bad memory. And Newton replied, yes, I do. But I do remember two things. I am a great sinner, and I have a great Savior, and I don't suppose an old slave trader needs to remember much more than that. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. We can never thank you enough for your mercy, holy God. And yet we do thank you at this moment. We thank you for embracing us 
just the way we are. Knowing that we will fail you again, you are rich in mercy and offer us your grace and your salvation. So help us to live a life of gratitude for your sake and for the sake of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.